0: Hi,
1: I'm Scott Fitzpatrick Welcome to the GAF podcast This podcast is for professionals who want to work in the advisory space It's a series of conversations and essential frameworks to give better advice It's the stuff they don't teach you at uni It's where value sits So buckle in, volume up Let's go. Welcome to The GAF. My name's Scott Fitzpatrick, and it's great to have my guest interviewer today, Michael Small from Small Myer Hughes. Michael, I call a lawyer to the stars. He's not really. He's just a very, very good lawyer that works in the successful family, successful business marketplace. Great to have you here today, Mike.
0: Thank you, Scott. Thank you for the invitation.
1: Mike, I'm so excited about this. You know, I've got 100 questions for you. That I want to go over, but let's start back at the start. You and I have been working together for about 20 years, but I think you first started off in family law, then went to estate, and I'm sure you wanted to always deal in divorce and and death, a couple of near certainties. Is that right?
0: It, It is, Scott. I mean, one of the things that I did do is identify the certainties in life, and sadly, death is one of them, so is divorce, and the other is tax. So they are the practice areas that I have throughout my career identified as um you know largely recession proof, but but things that touch families all the time.
1: Yeah, Mike, now I know you know you're you work in a small boutique firm. Can you tell us a little bit about small My Hughes? Uh
0: based on the Gold Coast, um, whilst we're on the Gold Coast, we're probably still one of the larger practice areas, not the, size is the issue that we like to do but the beauty of size gives us is that we can focus well in those practice areas that touch most SMEs and their respective families. We have a motto in our business which is law business relationships and people think that is you know business law and relationship being family law but what we do is that's just the three words of our motto which is we are lawyers we're in business and building relationships with people. Relationships with our referrers and relationships with our clients.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that whole relationship piece. So, and I, and I know I've worked with you for a long time, but it is boutique and unique, and you're more about smaller client numbers than dealing with thousands of people.
0: That That is absolutely right. Uh, our preference is, is to be able to focus on what we do well, tailor that advice exceptionally well, and then to do that and discharge and deliver service, we, we can't have a extensive number of clients. We like to keep it boutique and focused.
1: And Mike, I know you train accountants around the country, you train lawyers, and you train financial planners and wealth advisors in many of these concepts that we're going to discuss today. And I just think it's really relevant to this whole piece around commoditization that's occurring across all of our industries. Do you, or do you as a firm, have a feel for where law's heading heading to, or already is? Law, law has for many, many
0: years been slowly but surely commoditized. And there is in many instances uh, a focus on price. And as soon as people focus on price, we see it's a race to the bottom. Somebody will cut $5 off just to get perceptions of doing a job. We've intentionally focused on the opposite, which is to focus on service and delivery of service. And that is where we find that people will be reluctant to pay for a document, but they're happy to pay for the service of an advice which will ultimately be documented. So it's trying to separate those two things from being a product-driven business to being a service delivery business.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I have seen you over years, you know, your target market is in that successful business owner, successful family space where you feel you can add a lot of value. That's correct. I mean, I know you do a lot of work with medicos as well. I know that's a particular field you like to work in.
0: Look, it, it, it is, and what's, what's interesting about the medico space is that they are, like many people, time poor. And in, the, in that space of the specialist medico, they are at the top of their professions. They are the ones that are always outsourced for work, and they specialise well in the work they do, but they don't try to do everything else. And they therefore are a great client to sit down and, and, and they will take advice. That's really where we work well, where clients are willing to work with you as part of their team so that collectively, with their other advisors, that we can move forward and deliver them better outcomes.
1: That's great, Mike. There's two parts to that which intrigue me. One is, how do you build trust with your clients? Quickly is the wrong word, but I'm going to say it anyway. How how do you build trust with them so that you can sit on that family board? Because obviously, it's better for them and better for you, the quicker that you can earn that trust but yeah. To deliver the great advice to them.
0: The 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 two points, if somebody were asking how to do it, is two. The first one is having enough ego not to have an ego. And and what I mean by that is 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 not putting your agenda forward. It's it's the client's agenda. And then a really simple one, which is advise the clients the same way you'd advise your mother. I love that. Open honest, fair advice.
1: And then that's it. I really love that, Mike, by the way. That's a, that's a great... Is, imagine if we all did that. Uh, now, obviously... If, if, if,
0: if we, you know, it'd be complete. It's, it's, it's just an easy way of aligning yourself to say, well, what would I say to my mother? And that that's just that check-in, just to make sure that you're delivering it in the right, right way.
1: That's great. And then the second part of that was you, you touched on collaborating with the other professionals and not having an ego in the room and i've seen you in action and maybe if you could just elaborate on that
0: nobody no professional knows everything and the need to bring everybody to the table at the same time so that you can have the different skill sets sitting at the table whether that be financial legal accounting tax is crucial being able to bring those different professionals to the table it's it's Absolutely imperative that everybody comes free of an agenda, free of ego, and everybody's willing to sit and allow the focus to be on what is the outcomes that the clients desire. We will each contribute, contribute differently, and collectively we've come up with a solution that is more robust than anyone individually being able to come up with that proposal.
1: Yeah, I like that. I know I've seen I've sat in the room with you many times with the accountant, the lawyer, the client there and It's a much better outcome than having this silo style advice or leaving it up to the client to try and interpret the advice given from you to me to the accountant, et cetera.
0: Very true. and I think it typifies what clients want. Rather than it being a focus on, let's not get everybody together because it might save me a dollar or two in the short term. By having everybody together, yes, it might appear to be a higher cost at the front end the outcome is far shorter with the necessity of time. And the client actually enjoys it better to see all their advisors working in the same direction, on
1: the same team, at the same time. Clients love it. Yeah, it's that concept of there's only 168 hours in the week. Where do I want to spend my time? And I'd rather have a cohesive planning for my other professionals than it being you know, disparate or desperate. Um is going to give me a much better outcome. Absolutely. Happy to pay the premium for that. So let's just talk about your best-of-breed team. You've developed a best-of-breed team over the years.
0: Look, is- we have, and it's. it's, it's it doesn't matter where you sort of, sort of place that best-of-breed team. You sort of look at saying, okay, back to the concepts of advising your mother. Your mother comes in with a problem. You say, who is the best person for me to refer you to? And that's where you talk about best-of-breed. Uh, It's not driven by any other agendas. It's it's just if someone has a problem, you look around for who's best to refer out to. Who do I feel comfortable with? Who do I feel confident with? And so there's a team around us where we know what each person does and you can complement one another. And that complementary assistance can deliver a better outcome for the client.
1: Yes, I know. Sometimes for you, it's a little bit painstaking that you're quite often at the end of the process, or at clients coming in to see you, the problems already occurred.
0: It is, uh, and and that's that's a very challenging times because there's often one of the advisors is sitting there thinking, well, is somebody going to look at me or is somebody going to say something? But the reality is, is that every problem invariably has solutions, and. Without ego, if we can sit down and work through the options and come up with a solution, then we can generally overcome any of the problems. But it is true, I'm off the, the end of the, uh, the, the, the chain, and it's often when the car crash has occurred, how do we pick up the pieces and triage it back into a suitable outcome? That, that's,
1: uh, that's good, because, you know, I, I have had many interviews or, you know, engagements where I've, I've felt the other professionals were adversarial about what we were trying to do or achieve with clients. And it is a little bit of a skill set to be able to work your way through this whole collaborative advice process. Maintain status for everybody in the room to, to get a good outcome.
0: Absolutely. People get very protective about their turf. And as soon as they get protective and defensive, that can often come over as being you know very guarded and, and shield. And that doesn't achieve the best outcome. We've got to sort of drop that without fear that, you know, the client might like or dislike me more or less than someone else. It's not about us. It's about us focusing on what's best for the client. Um, And one, one of the, I suppose, major differences with lawyers is that lawyers can often be transactional at times with clients. So we are familiar with the client that will come and utilise us for a period of time, then they will go. And then we'll need to look for someone else as a new client whereas other professionals where you know their relationship with that client has been 20 or 30 years they're very fearful that that client could leave them and it's a case of dropping that fear and focusing on how can i deliver better service and surround myself with better people that can provide service for the client and that reinforces the relationship rather than threaten the relationship
1: yeah i think that's a great way to look at it i'm sure a lot of us professionals Still try to hold on to too much of the work ourselves rather than, Delegation. Rather than let go. Delegation
0: is a very difficult thing, and letting go is a very difficult thing, and that's something that, as professionals, we need to improve our skill set.
1: Yes, or we don't like other professionals overseeing our work.
0: Yes, very true.
1: <laughs> Especially in tax, I think it occurs mainly in tax because, you know, obviously a lot of tax is tax law. And accountants sitting there, financial advisors to a certain extent, and obviously yourselves. So there's a big overlap there.
0: There's a there's a lot of overlaps there, and there's a lot of jockeying for position of who should be doing what. Um, once again, it, it's a case of bringing different skill sets to the table. Always acknowledge there's always going to be somebody that will think a little bit differently or a little laterally, take on board options, and and see whether. It, The options can be teased out, look for pitfalls, and then the the, the collective will invariably come up with a solution that that works quite well.
1: Mike, I want to just get a sense of, for you, when a a business client comes in that you've been dealing with for a long while, of uh, hours in the day that you'd spend with them, are you spending, I'm making this up as I go, 50% on legal issues, 50% on non-legal?
0: I would probably say to people that... My day is probably twenty percent legal issues, eighty percent non-legal, and they can be simple things like you know dealing with people's behaviours, um, a lot of non-legal related matters, and people are often just after a sounding board they will talk through some of the concepts that they're experiencing either in their business, it might be, you know, they, they have a relationship with a business partner that, that, that's, that's having some troubles, they might have an issue with a, their own personal relationship that's is having issues. We tend to be a bit of a sounding board and, and if I can provide some alternative ways in which to look at things, it might enable the person to make a different approach that often might have a different outcome and therefore that block in their day on their business personal relationship is removed
1: that's interesting these podcasts about what they didn't teach you at uni and the skill sets required for you to spend 80 percent of your time in non-legal possibly you didn't learn these skills at university
0: not at all these are life skills of learning how to firstly be quiet and listen we were given two ears for a reason and one mouth observe what answers are given initially drill down, see what answers you get, and finally sort of conclude with, of those answers while similar, what's the one that's the burning issues for the client? So sometimes repetition of questions will bring out different answers until you get to where their truth is. Um, Learning to not shield away from emotional issues, Um, talking through emotional issues, Um, learning that communication is a key, communication is not about what I say, it's about how it's heard. Um, Asking for people to repeat back to me an understanding so that I can actually hear the interpretation that they've received and if it actually resonates and that's my intent then I know my dialogue has been heard and they understand. Empowering clients by educating them, bringing them along the path and the journey a lot of people tend to say, look, I don't really want my clients to know you know, all, all, all the advice work because then what do they need me for? Whereas my preference is the more I can advise people about these issues, the more they can identify them coming up quicker rather than delivering them to me when it's past their point of return.
1: Mike, if I was a client sitting out there, I'd want you to be my lawyer.
0: <laughs> that, you've
1: got that beautiful combination of hard and soft skills. And we're going to talk about some of those hard skills the technical skills in a minute, but I think it's such an important piece of the puzzle in this space that you've spent time on developing those soft... And I call it soft skills, but they're, they're not the soft skills, they're the hard skills.
0: They are very much the hard skills because they are the skills that require you to go outside your comfort zone to learn, go outside the comfort zone to experiment with go outside your comfort zone to be vulnerable
1: and how did you do that what was what's what's some of the some of the ways you've developed that
0: a combination of just life experiences uh there's been training there's been different forms of you know talking to everything from psychiatrists psychologists counselors business coaches behavioral coaches communication coaches understanding different ways to negotiate, understanding uh, different ways different cultures negotiate. You know, One of the things I did do in, in, in uni was I, I did do a subject of psychology and an 18-year-old studying psychology, it just didn't resonate, but it did later in life where you started to understand some of those concepts of understanding better human behaviour. And those are sorts of the soft skills harder to learn But once they are experimented with and you've got confidence around utilising them, they can be deployed with outcomes that are actually wonderful.
1: Yeah, I think that's great. And I think you've made, what I love about that is you made a conscious choice to spend time in that area. Whereas quite often as professionals, we want to stick to our own content expert and become further experts in that same content.
0: It is one major shift that I did was the movement from consultation time. Most of our consultation time as lawyers, they put them in hours. And I consciously said, no, I'm going to allow two hours just in case. Because often different things come up and there's often a period of time where it it takes more than an hour for what I call the ice to thaw. And once the ice starts to thaw, you get into the truth of the story. And interestingly, I tell counsellors and psychologists the similar experiences, don't run a session for 15 minutes, run it for two hours. Because often you get to the 50-minute mark, great, consultation's over, see you next week. Nothing's really been achieved. That's... Longer the time, the barriers get lowered, you get to the heart of the problem quicker after that event.
1: I like that. I'm, I'm going to bring that into my into my business straight away. I like that concept. Then, Mike, I'm I'm going to quiz you. I want to have a bit of fun with this. What I'm after okay. is all the alarm bells or hot tips for all the advisors listening in on this on a range of subjects. We don't. I don't want to delve into it too far, but I, I just want your, you know, if you're if you saw a client come in and what would raise alarm bells for you. Let's just start okay. off with a, a bunch of different things. Asset protection is a really big one where I find. Uh, advisors generally, when I say wealth advisors, financial planners, aren't so up to speed on it. Accountants to a certain level, uh, but nowhere near the level of depth of someone like yourself. So asset protection and family home.
0: Family home? Quick tip. Be very careful who owns it. Why? Humans make mistakes. Humans do wrong things. So sometimes it's better to protect it by putting it into an entity. That's got consequences as well, so it's a case of tailoring what works for that particular client. But don't by default simply go to the perceived low-risk spouse, because often they are not the low-risk spouse, and secondly, they can always contaminate that asset by as simply as selling it from under you, mortgaging it on you. There's a whole range of threats that can occur.
1: Right, and that brings me onto the 99 and 1% ownership.
0: 999 is good because if you own that 1% or even a lesser percentage, whilst it's a small percentage number, you've still got absolute control over the totality of the asset. It's very hard to sell a 99% interest in a house, let alone mortgage a 99% interest in a house. Great. So that's often a good strategy to hold a very small percentage.
1: Gift and loan strategies, Mike, where you're gifting out the equity
0: yes they. That's strategies that can be deployed rather than moving the asset because it's already been set in stone um, so there are ways that that can be done as another means to protect wealth but it's got to be done at the right time you can't do it after the car crash
1: yeah just on the just quickly if i decide to, if there is a car crash i've moved I, I go to move the asset i've got look back periods i
0: believe You've got look back periods in the event of bankruptcy, and often the trustee in bankruptcy can then go back as far as five years, can go back longer in some circumstances, and they will be aggressive trying to untie any strategy that you've tried to deploy to defeat creditors. So it's best to do it when there is no problems on the horizon, other than we want to look at all sorts of things, but it's not just asset protection, it's certainty around What happens when I die? A lot of these strategies are deployed so that people have got certainty where I don't want the court to intervene and do things against my wish. So people want to hardwire future in some instances, and that's one strategy, one tool that we use to assist in achieving that outcome.
1: Great. Which leads me on to powers of attorney. Where where have you seen it go wrong?
0: Or appointing the wrong person, or worse, just appointing one person. If you appoint one person to be your attorney... That relies on trust of them doing the right thing. Not suggesting that attorneys do the wrong thing, but impose trust. If you appoint two or three people and they've got to work together, then you've just obligated people to work honestly. Having one person with a readily early-signed checkbook potentially tempts somebody to perhaps do something that they shouldn't. Remove the temptation, put in more than one person.
1: That's that impose trust, not rely on it impose it
0: yes imposed trust very much so
1: i love that concept self-managed super funds
0: self-managed super funds more and more of them we are seeing and they are becoming a very very wealthy lucrative asset likewise they also become very vulnerable because invariably one person can go and take everything out because often they are very liquid and so i see them as a very high risk asset particularly in the event of somebody moving forward to that phase of wanting to separate. And I have seen super funds being stripped of all of their assets and the cash moved swiftly. So just walk me through, how does that happen? OK, if you've got, um, for example, husband and wife are trustees in their individual names of a self-managed super fund. It might have liquid assets, million dollars sitting in a bank account. You can go off to the bank and one of them can take it out unless... You've set the bank account up properly, obligating to must sign. So sometimes it can be a simple little change in the direction to an instruction to the bank to protect that withdrawal being done. Yes, there are adverse consequences of doing it, but once it's gone, you've got to chase the money.
1: <laughs> and it's not the bank's responsibility, is that correct?
0: It's not the bank's responsibility to double check, though. You know, victims of this occurring will always point the finger at the bank rather than looking at themselves to say, hey, did this get set up properly at the start? At the start, when you set it up, set it up on the way of being sensible. Both of us have to sign this. Therefore, one can't take advantage of the other.
1: There's so many legal issues here when you're advising businesses. You know, so this just reinforces for me that... You need to have a best-of-breed team around you. Let me keep going. Binding financial agreements, do they work?
0: They do work, provided they're done properly. There's been a lot of press out there saying they don't work. The one that the press got hold of didn't work, but that had its own unique circumstances. This is not a document that you can present on the morning of a proposed wedding to say, hey, sign it or else. That won't stand up. But a properly prepared one in which there's time for consideration. Parties are entering into them of their own free will. They do work. Many people do not want to go into the family court in the event of separation to have a third party adjudicate about what should happen. A lot of people want to be mature and dictate and determine between themselves what they would like to see happen in the event of something like a separation occurring.
1: Love it. Guarantees and warranties.
0: Caution. A lot of people jump in, sign guarantees every day they think that they can't negotiate them they often don't understand them guarantees are the uh, the hidden trap often in borrowing of money particularly in businesses because a guarantee doesn't stop if you leave the business guarantees being joint in several whoever you owe the money to they'll chase whoever's got the deeper pockets so really whenever there's a guarantee tread cautiously negotiate the guarantee and remove joint and several and you should have a limited guarantee so that you know precisely what is the maximum liability you've got and then if you can negotiate even further so it actually drops over time so that you're only guaranteeing a specific percentage of the actual debt okay if I borrow a million dollars the guarantee is for a million dollars but at the time the debt is being chased it might only be a hundred yet my guarantee is still up at that higher sum and, that, and sort of, that, that
1: brings in, Mike, you know, unequal shareholdings, yet I've still got the same guarantees and warranties.
0: Unequal shareholdings just demonstrates that because if you've got 90% and I've got 10 and we go and borrow a million dollars collectively, the bank will ask for a joint and several guarantees. So I'm guaranteeing a million dollars, even though you effectively own 90%. And conversely, you're the opposite. So if it goes to custard, uh, the bank will chase me just as aggressively as they'll chase you. Whereas if we did a several guarantee with you guarantee ninety percent and I guarantee ten percent, that's more just and equitable.
1: <laughs> I love I love this stuff. Personal property securities register. What should I
0: Ooh, quickly very, very interesting? <laughs> that's that's another great little trap because unfortunately, gone to the concepts of I bought the asset. Retention of title. So personal property securities register has come in and it's effectively got a large degree of now it's more about who's got possession of an asset and where this seems wrong is this let's say i own some assets and i provide them scott to you to utilize in the course of your business let's use an example a photocopier i own the photocopier and i go and put it in your business and you just sort of use it for a period of time if your business falls over and a receiver comes in they'll grab that photocopier because it's in your possession and the receiver will be able to go out or the liquidator will be able to go out and sell it. Now, I bought it. I've got title to it. And he'll say, well, bad luck. But in the process, Michael, you can put in a proof of debt. Now, if I put in a proof of debt, I'm an unsecured creditor and I only might get cents in the dollar. But I can be protected if I've actually put interest properly recorded on personal property securities register. Okay, it's something that everybody should be aware of. And that's why now just about... Every asset we acquire these days has got barcodes and it's got serial numbers so that you can actually utilise those for effectively securing any debt against them and protecting assets in those instances. It's a very, very uh, precise area of the law, and it's one that people tend to uh, just sort of push it aside that they don't know about it. It's something people should make themselves very familiar with.
1: Mike, that's great. Look, you know, we, we could go on and on and on, and maybe we get you back on for another episode. But it's what what I wanted you to do, and which is what you've done, is to highlight the myriad of issues that our clients are facing that just do not get attended to. Whether absolutely, it's, you know, whether when, when we see them, whether the accountants see them, if they've typically met their their lawyer, who you know may have a specialty in one area, but has not referred it on.
0: Yes, I can only agree with you, Scott. That's precisely the point.
1: So let's just, I want to finish this off on a, a bit of a personal note, Mike. We're really big in uh, a couple of different areas about context. You know, we're, we're into what enriches clients' lives. And we love that concept of the four L's, how you want to live your life, uh, learn, love and legacy. So for you, you're how old? 54 this year. I knew you were a little bit younger. Yeah.
0: Yes.
1: So Mike, if I'm sitting here at 60, what, what's a great life look like for you?
0: At 60. Uh, A great life for me will be one in which I can say, I've made a difference in other people's lives, particularly my clients. I've helped remove trauma by resolution of conflict earlier. I hope that I've educated people and I've given them different insights into ways in which they can advance towards conflict and deal conflict, sharing of knowledge. If I can share knowledge or create an opportunity for people to think of things in a different way or approach a concept in a different manner, I think that's a a reflection for me. That's um, yeah, I sit back and say, yeah, I've done that well. Oh,
1: that's I hear a lot of legacy through there.
0: Yes, very much, so.
1: Thank you very, very much for sharing that with me. Now you run a successful business. What I want to just finish off with is two two quick questions to go. What's a daily habit or a weekly habit? What's something that you think has really contributed to the success of your business in a habit that you do often, daily, weekly, whatever it is?
0: We we do a lot of things on a daily basis. We say focus on a couple of simple KPIs. Focus and monitor, and by just focusing and monitoring, invariably they will improve. It's all about the simple stuff, invariably, most businesses are about simple stuff, but it's the simple stuff that a lot of people forget. Deliver good service, you will have repeat clients. Good service, they might tell one or two people. Bad service, they'll tell 10. So just deliver good service.
1: Great. And That's one of your overarchings. Yep, keep going.
0: It is. And give advice as if you're advising your mother. Oh, I love
1: that. Mike, I think that's just such a good way. We might just finish on that note that that is absolute gold. And uh, I want to thank you for your time. Where do we reach you? How do we find Mike Small if we want to know more?
0: Uh, they contact you and they ask you for my details it's quickly <laughs> and the easiest way to do it because then you'll be able to share that as part of the referral process through to me. All right. um, I'm based on the Gold Coast Small Myers Hughes. Look us up and you'll be able to find us. And,
1: and may I say, you do give your time freely to, to many people in this uh, area uh, around their own affairs, around their clients' affairs, and I know your clients are around the country. So thank you very much for your time today, Mike. It's been great, as usual.
0: Thanks, Scott. You have a great day as well.
1: Thanks for listening to another episode of The Gap Podcast. We're all about empowering advisors, giving them additional tools for their toolkit to give great advice. Great advice leads to great business frameworks, which leads to great results for the community.